You're listening to the Daily Sweat Podcast, where we are all about doing something that makes you sweat every single day. What is up, friends? Welcome back to another episode of the Daily Sweat Podcast. As always, I am super stoked that you are here. And can we all just take a moment to acknowledge how insane it is that it is December? Like, where did 2018 go? I was about to say, where did 2017 go? Apparently, I've been lost in the cosmos for a little while here. But really, um, I know, I'm sure I've said this before on the podcast, and I know I say it all the time in my day-to-day life, but I feel like time is just flying by. And it's really putting things into perspective and highlighting the need to really just enjoy every moment as much as we can because, you know, not every moment is super enjoyable. But I think just as I realize how quickly life goes by, it is becoming so much more apparent to me that the need to stay present and in the moment and to just really experience life as it's coming is so, so important, especially as we're getting older. You know, I remember being young and Christmas break, that two-week break that you get in elementary school and high school, that was like the longest time ever. And now two weeks flies by like nothing. It's insane. So, you know, we're here, we're heading into the holiday season. We are probably all being inundated on our social media feeds. I know I am, maybe you are about, you know, what are you going to do to make the last few weeks of the year great? How are you setting yourself up for success in 2019? And all of that go, go, go stuff. And if you're getting caught up in it, I invite you to just pause and take a breath. Let's all just do that right now. If you're driving, you can still breathe deeply. You don't have to close your eyes or anything. But if you're sitting, maybe close your eyes if you want. And just take a nice big breath in through the nose. And out through the mouth. Feeling your body just relax on that nice long exhale. Maybe going through a couple more of those deep breaths. Knowing that right here, right now, while you're listening to this podcast, regardless of whatever else is going on in your life or whatever else you may be doing right now, in this very moment, this present second, you have the opportunity to relax. In five seconds, you might have to get back to normal hustle bustle, but right now you can choose to relax. You can choose to ease off that tension in your shoulders. You can choose to let your heart soften, to let your body soften. And know that that choice is available to you whenever you need. So if shit starts to get real crazy over the next couple of weeks, know that you can always return back to your breath to invite a little more stillness and a little more softness into your day, even if just for a couple seconds. And sometimes that's all we need. I know when I am in a crazy headspace and I'm getting all caught up in everything that's going on, all I need is just a few seconds to be pulled out of that space to remind myself of what's actually important. Now, getting those few seconds can can be a little bit of a challenge because it requires you to remember that yourself and to remember to pull yourself out of that. But it's a practice. And the more you practice it, the easier it'll become to recognize when you're getting a little cray cray and when you need to stop and take a breath so you can recenter and then get on with whatever it was you were doing. 
It's always been my goal through the holidays to really help women learn to prioritize themselves and their health and their wellness. You know, it probably looks different than it does during different times of the year. You know, when you've got a little bit more time on your hands, you can dedicate more time to your fitness, to preparing healthy meals for yourself, to self-care, whether that's the fun self-care like a bubble bath or the not so fun self-care like going to the doctor. And it's during these last few weeks of the year where we tend to find ourselves quite strapped for time in that regard. So what I've done the last three years, this is our fourth year doing this, is I've hosted a fitness challenge throughout the holidays. And, you know, it's predominantly a fitness challenge because I provide free workouts to do that are quick and easy to fit in amidst a busy schedule. Um, But I also provide lots of tips to help you stay calm and centered and grounded throughout the holiday season. And my goal through this, it's not like a maintain, don't gain kind of challenge or anything like that that we see a lot of this time of year. This has absolutely nothing to do with that. This is about finding ways to prioritize yourself, your health, and your well-being amongst what is one of the busiest times of year. And I want to show people that self-care can actually be kind of easy. It can be super complicated and sometimes it's fun if we make it big and extravagant, but it doesn't have to be. So if this sounds like something that might be of benefit to you, my free holiday sweat challenge, it's a 14 day challenge. It begins on Monday, December 10th, and it will wrap up on Monday, December 24th. Like I said, you'll get free workouts almost every day. There will be some rest days scattered in throughout, so not to worry. And you'll get lots of mindset tips to help you just stay focused and to continue being your badass self through this holiday season. There's also some chances to win some really, really cool prizes by posting updates on Instagram and being supportive of other women doing the challenge. And then of course, you will be able to wake up on the morning of December 24th, knowing that you did what you could to make yourself a priority the last couple of weeks. So if this is something that is of interest to you, head over to the show notes and I will have a link on that will take you to the registration page for the challenge. I would love, love, love to see you in there. Now, today I have a wonderful guest on the show. I'm chatting with Alicia Patinsky, who is a local fitness and life coach. And we've been following one another on Instagram for quite a few years. And we finally had the opportunity to meet in person a couple of weeks before we recorded this episode. And I absolutely love Alicia's take on the work that she does. There's a lot of work these days around body image coaching and healing our relationships with food and our bodies. And I think that is all so important. But what Alicia is also doing is helping women repair their relationships with exercise. And this is something that we don't talk about a whole lot is, you know, this idea of compulsive exercise and exercise addiction. And Alicia has had experience with this in her own life, and she's taken her experiences and drawn from them in a way that allows her to do such strong and impactful work. So, you know, if you're curious about what exercise compulsion might be, or if you're, if you've ever wondered if your relationship with exercise is maybe hinging a little on the unhealthy side, you know, I've definitely been there in my own journey. This is definitely an episode for you to listen to. So just to give you a quick rundown on who Alicia is, Alicia Patinsky is an NLP practitioner and life coach who supports fitness enthusiasts battling food, their bodies, and exercise. 
Alicia is orthorexia and anorexia athletica recovered and understands firsthand what it's like to live at war with food and your body. As she is passionate about functional fitness, Alicia also works with a few personal training clients here in Vancouver, prioritizing moving well, strength, and emotional well-being. Outside of coaching and training, Alicia is passionate about conversing with interesting people, music, trees, sunsets, and the simple joys in life. This is an amazing episode, and I don't want to hold you back from it any longer, so let's dive right in. All right, Alicia, thank you so much for coming on the Daily Sweat Podcast. I'm super stoked to have you here with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here too. Excellent. Um, To our listeners, Alicia and I have kind of like known each other online for a while, but what was it like two or three weeks ago where I actually met in person for the first time? Yeah, but I think we've been following each other on Instagram for like three or four years. (laughs) Yeah, it's been a really long time. It's funny how social media just brings people together now. Gone are the days where you had to hide from the people who wanted to meet you online. So true. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. Well, Alicia, we have so many amazing things that we're going to dive into today. But before we get into that, I have a question who I like to ask everybody who comes on the show. And first, I want to know what you are most excited about in life right now. Okay. Well, what I'm most excited about is I'm going to Mexico on December 21st. And I'm really looking forward to having no structure for 11 days of just Mm. chilling out and it'll be great. I'm really, really excited about that. That sounds amazing. When is the last time you got to go on a vacation like that? Oh, it's been a while because, uh, I mean, the last time I went on a vacation, it was quite short and for like a lengthy one like that. I don't even know, like a couple of years, maybe. Yeah. It's tough when you run your own business. Hey, like, you know, we all talk about how important it is to take time away and take time for ourselves. And sometimes I find it's not even so much that I feel resistant towards going on vacation. It's just like, I forget, like you get so caught up in everything and suddenly you're like, Hey, it's been a few years since I have done anything relaxing. Oh, for sure. And sometimes it just depends on where you're at in your business too. Like if you're in the midst of a transition where you have to be present, then you have to be present. Totally. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your business? Like tell us about the work that you do. And if there was kind of a journey that you went through, I'm sure your business has evolved with you. So let's, let's hear about that. All right. So I have a life coaching and personal training business called You Are Weightless. And it started out as life coaching only because I was working for a gym. And what I specialize in for life coaching is body image, disordered eating, and um, over-exercising, fitness obsession, all of that kind of stuff. So in my own journey, I personally went through the extreme body image struggles myself. Uh, I battled disordered eating twice in my life, but the second time was what really led me into the work that I do. When I started working in the fitness industry, I was battling an eating disorder called orthorexia. And for those who aren't familiar with orthorexia, this is the clean eating eating disorder, where the obsession to like eat healthy is so extreme that it's actually unhealthy. 
And we see this a lot in the fitness community, sadly. Um, people are really fixated on diet trends and like how hardcore can we be with our nutrition and diets instead of like finding sustainability. And so I was going through that and then I met the criteria for anorexia, like in the worst phase. And then I went through a binge purge phase and the term purge, like a lot of people will hear that and they will think self-induced vomiting and like laxatives and things, but over-exercising and exercise compulsion is also a form of purging. And so, you know, I was struggling with that for a long time. I, well, I shouldn't say a long time. I was actually pretty proactive with getting help. Um, I worked with a wonderful counselor. Um, you know, I worked with nutrition coaches along the way that taught me about eating for performance, which was super valuable. And I worked with a wonderful naturopath as well, who helped me with some of the healing processes there. And I was in a good place myself. And I started realizing that what I experienced is actually really common in the fitness community. And I had some personal training clients who told me about their disordered eating habits. And, you know, one client in particular was compulsively exercising and was struggling with orthorexia as well. And that person ended up being my first life coaching client. I'm a neurolinguistics programmer. So, you know, in this and realizing, you know, people are saying that my advice is helpful. I would love to learn some formal mind shift techniques and get into life coaching and really help because personal trainers are great. If you've got a good personal trainer, <laughs> you know, uh, not all trainers are created equal, but this industry really needs a lot of help on the mental, emotional health side. And so that's why I specialize in working with fitness enthusiasts and athletes specifically. And that's why I love to serve this niche because a lot of my clients have told me before they found my services that they couldn't really find the right person to help because nobody really understood what they were going through. And then as time went on, like I left my personal training job, like I merged the two services into one brand and here we are. Wow. There is so much to go into there. And I, I really love that we are just opening up this conversation because I have a feeling that a lot of the things that we're going to talk about today are very, like very opposite to what a lot of popular fitness culture is talking about. Like, you know, when you were mentioning that we, it, the fitness culture is like promoting that orthorexia or the extremes with regards to nutrition. Like I'm immediately thinking of all those meal prep accounts on Instagram where it's like meal prep harder than me. And everyone's got all their Tupperware containers that they're bringing out with them and, and everything like that. And sure that can come from a healthy mindset, but it can also come from an unhealthy mindset. And I'm curious to hear a little bit more about your own personal experience with this before we go into the work that you do with your clients and how you can help some of our listeners who may be struggling with this. Like, do you know how your, your perceptions of your body and fitness and nutrition became skewed? Like, do you remember when that started? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, 
way back in the day, I was a dancer and I began dancing when I was four. And I loved dancing, but the dance community at that time, and from what I understand, this is still prevalent, some of the terminology and the language that the instructors used in regards to our bodies was not very kind, not very uplifting. And I thought that I was fat at five years old. Like I had extreme body image issues from the time I was like five. So that was where it really, really started with me. And so I held on to that for years. So I did battle some disordered eating when I was 15, 16, 17. And I never like sought out professional help for it back then. But uh, when I left it behind, I replaced my self-sabotaging behaviors with um, alcohol abuse. So the issues were still prevalent. And then again, like disordered eating occurred later. And when it occurred later, I was initially making some positive changes in my life and was like, okay, I have been partying so much that I haven't been to the gym for two years. Like legit at that time, I was bartending, teaching bartending, and I had a sales position as well. And I was like, hey, I have to make some lifestyle changes. And so initially it was quite positive. And when I look back to that time, I was intuitively eating a really balanced diet. But then I ended up joining this online group for fitness enthusiasts to hold one another accountable. And they would go on these 21 day perfection cycles, they called them. Oh, wow. (laughs) And you were to execute like perfection and their standards of perfection was like paleo grain free, like low carb dieting, which, Mm. you know, that's problematic for active people. And I would compare myself to others in the group, right? Like I, at first was like, these people are crazy. Like I'm still going to eat quinoa and fruit and, and rice and things like, and then I felt like I was a failure because other people would be like, I've had nothing but chicken and spinach for the, for the 21 days. And I was like, Oh man, like I'm not strict enough. I'm not disciplined enough. And I ended up falling into, um, the most extreme case of orthorexia that you can possibly imagine. Like I ate four things literally, and I would intermittent fast for 24 hours, like no exceptions at all. And just, you know, completely self-destructive. And I felt horrible about myself if I would eat something else or even other vegetables. Like I had two vegetables that I allowed myself to eat. And I remember going to someone's house for dinner and thinking that some of the vegetables that I was eating there were too high in sugar. Like I was really, really into that, like fear mongering with sugar and carbs and everything. So that ended with a binge. That's what happens physiologically and psychologically over time. Um, I was starving myself. I think Mm -hmm. I was probably taking in about 800 calories a day. And I was like on a strong lifts powerlifting program. So it was a disaster. I binge, I binged, I purged, like it was um, a bit of a yo-yo cycle there. And then I would find some other diet to go on and then do that. And like I hopped around. So I would do a juice cleanse and then I would 
you know, eat nothing but salads and fish all week long and then binge on the weekend. And then I decided to do keto and like, it just kept going and going. And, uh, you know, finally I was finding that balance and it was the self development work and emotional work that I was doing with my counselor, obviously, that was the most important part. And then some of those habit changes and, you know, I'm going to ensure that I eat carbs every day. And it sounds, you know, so silly now because I eat tons of carbs, but that was a big deal being like, Hey, I'm going to hold myself accountable to eating two pieces of fruit and a serving of rice every day or whatever it was. But, um, over time I was able to repair everything. And, you know, we always say on, uh, social media, don't compare yourself to others, but seriously, like people really need to deeply believe that it's not worth comparing yourself to others, whether it be what you're eating, uh, how much you're exercising, how heavy you lift, all of these things that we see in the fitness industry, you know, it's easy to fall into that comparison trap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I 100% agree. And I want to just say thank you for sharing your experiences with us. I know um, for some people, sometimes kind of like going back into stuff is not always easy, but I, I really appreciate it. And I am sure our listeners do as well, because I think there are so many things that you're saying that people can relate to, whether it's at the same intensity or a different intensity, you know, just those feelings of, oh, well, I ate a bunch yesterday, so I have to exercise more to make up for it today. And, you know, I I think that's, it's such a common phrase that people say. And yet I don't know if we realize how, how damaging it can be to our relationships with movement and our bodies and everything like that. Absolutely. And like compulsive exercise is really interesting. Like I remember when I had a phase where I would binge on the weekends and then I would eat salad and fish throughout the week. And I was doing my group fitness classes with the classes, like out of guilt. Mm. I'm going to do this Tabata workout with them. And I'm going to do this boot camp with them and run around the block with them and try to rectify these binges. And, you know, it's a desperation. It's like, you know, and then I would throw on a weight vest and walk up incline on the treadmill. Like I would do all of that in one day. And you know, I've been working with a client recently who um, came to me with exercise compulsion issues. Food actually wasn't an issue with this client, which was so interesting because usually it's a combination of food and exercise, but this was literally like the last disordered behavior that she was holding onto was the compulsive exercising. And when we started working together, she would wake up in the morning in a state of panic and go for a run. Like, oh my God, I'm awake. I have to move. I have to run. Like, uh, and then mm. later in the day would, you know, do another workout. And it's like how she described it was, was brilliant. Cause it was like, it's this anxiety that I can't get rid of and still until I start moving my body. And then as we were discussing things more and I would ask her questions and it was like, what are you actually running away from? Mm-hmm you know, what is, what is being manifested into this running? What are you running away from that you need to repair within yourself? And it was just such a, an interesting discovery, you know, like, Oh, sometimes we're running from accepting ourselves. 
Yeah, for sure. You know, I hear so many parallels to my own journey. And I think about that same thing in myself. Like it was like, what was I trying to hide from? Basically just from like getting to know who I was as a human being. Like I was so attached to the label of like fitness girl. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to like keep that mask on so I didn't actually have to look at all like the weird little quirks and everything that were maybe hiding under that mask. And um, to our listeners, like if you haven't asked yourself that, like what are you, like if you're running literally, what are you running away from? Might be a good thing to ask. True. And I love what you just said about the identity part. Like so many of us have fallen into that where we believe that fitness is our identity mm-hmm. and, or our diet is our identity. Like you see Instagram accounts that would be like keto Alicia or whatever, like, you know, don't oh, for sure. Yeah. Uh, ourselves by like how we eat and the type of exercise that we do. Um, you know, and there's so much overtraining going on as well, which is different than compulsive exercise. Like compulsive exercise, you're definitely overtraining and you're mm-hmm. definitely obsessed with fitness. But a person can overtrain and it may not be a compulsion, but it's still prevalent that they're overtraining. Like, I don't know about you, but I've had some personal training clients over the years that do a lot of cardio, like, when they arrive at the gym or like, I mean, not at the studio I'm at now, but when I was working at a gym before, it's like, so-and-so would arrive and like get on the treadmill. Then you'd train together. Then they'd get right back on the treadmill and you're like, Hey, you know what? We're, we're done for the day. Like you've, you've exercised plenty, but there's still that like, Nope, God burn more calories. I have to exercise more. I'm the fit person. This is what I do. And it really does become problematic because yin and yang like we we need exercise and rest they are interconnected they give rise to one another totally yeah and i've definitely had clients like that and you know some sometimes people will joke when they see somebody like that and they may be like oh you know i wish my problem was like i can't stop working out but like it's it's still still not a healthy relationship with exercise. So there's a few other things I want to go into, but I think this is a really good time to talk a little bit about that exercise compulsion. And I'm wondering if you can maybe differentiate for our listeners overtraining and exercise compulsion. I know there is a little bit of overlap, but just so we're clear on the terminology, can you go into that a little bit? So exercise compulsion is really executed from a state of anxiety, desperation, and fear. Like I've had some clients say to me, I believe something really bad will happen to my body if I don't do this. And that's like this fearful belief that's fueling the exercise. And it's also on like a deeper emotional level, a, a an addiction, mm-hmm. you know, like I, I don't, always like to use the word addiction, but it it does just become addictive. Like I have to get up and run. I have some downtime. I have to do a little hit workout. Um, You know, it's very addictive and, you know, bulimia in itself, regardless of what form it is uh, being manifested into is really an attempt to get rid of guilt. 
um, I've, you know, heard some people say that when it comes to, you know, eating binge purging, like, oh, I felt so guilty for eating all that food that I had to just like get rid of it. And the same thing will happen with exercise. Overtraining, I would say, you know, it's partially due to lack of education. Hmm. There are some people who think that more is better. And so they think, well, if I'm exercising more and I'm doing these things more, then I'm going to get better at it. Well, you're not if you're not strategically resting and tapering and all of those other things. But I think that in both cases that the ego is very prevalent in this deeply ingrained belief that we are defined by what we do and, you know, by how much we have. So in this case, by how much we exercise. And there's also the body image uh, issues that are often fostered into these. And not everybody with an eating disorder or disordered eating has body image issues. I have talked to some people who have said, actually, it had nothing to do with body image for me. It had more to do with control. Um, regardless of whether body image is prevalent or not, there's a control factor. Mm -hmm. um, needing to have control over these things. And if it is your body that you believe you have control over by how much you exercise and how little you eat and all of these things, then we can look at external factors. Like we can look at, you know, a lot of people on social media talk about mainstream fitness, pop culture, and the diet industry, um, diet culture, it's usually called, but we've got to look within and really understand like what past life experiences are we holding on to in which we believe that we deserve to be punished. Like it's a form of self-punishment, you know? Mm, yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really important distinction to make. And it's funny because I haven't actually looked at it that way. I've been hearing, it's come up a lot lately, all of this talk about diet culture and how we need to shift the conversations on social media. But if we're being drawn in by those beliefs and opinions that other people are stating, I think it's, it's not sure they should not be advocating you know, being on a diet for your entire life, but what is within us that is causing us to buy into that? Yeah. And I think that these conversations are good to have. Absolutely. Like what the heck is going on in diet culture? But if all we do is point blame towards external factors, we dismiss the internal factors. And that's what's most important to address in cultivating change and letting go of those old past experiences. With everyone I've worked with, no joke, we've gone through a forgiveness uh, process, forgiving themselves and forgiving someone else in mm. their life or a few people in their life. You know, um, we're very impressionable as children. And, you know, I know in my case, I had dance teachers saying interesting things about my body to me when I was quite young. Well, I held on to that for years and years and I had to forgive them for my own inner peace. And, you know, same goes with various traumas that we encounter. Sometimes people hear the word trauma and they think, you know, it's going to be something that's like incredibly alarming, but there are subtle forms of trauma as well. 
I listened to a podcast once that was talking about different traumas that children experience growing up in which they may feel neglected. And one was a parent that travels a lot. Well, my dad traveled a lot and he had very good intentions and it was out of love for his family and how he made a living. But, you know, it does still affect a child if one of their parents is gone half the time and stuff like that. There's lots of different mini traumas that we can uh, experience. And then our subconscious mind is an extraordinary data bank. It holds on to all of our past experiences. Yeah, we're like little sponges. And I've heard I've heard different ages, but I think it's like between like when you're a toddler or even a baby up until I think it's either like 7 or 12 from what I've heard is that where you're like the most impressionable and those obviously like the big T traumas of things that we would naturally think of as trauma are impactful, but also there's like the little T traumas. So like, yeah, a parent who travels a lot or getting lost in a grocery store or something like that, that might not be considered traumatic by everyone's standards, but was for that child, like plays such an important role in development later on in life. It really does. And I don't think that the average person knows how to become an observer of themselves and Mm -hmm. to look at these things. It's one of the things that I love to help clients with is start to observe your experiences and how those relate to your current actions and behaviors and where is the connect here. And it's always really fascinating when you guide somebody to discover something about themselves. And it's like, whoa, I've been holding on to this for 20 years like most of the women I've worked with have been in their 30s and 40s you know so they're in a really good time in life to do deep self-discovery and those aha moments are priceless because it's like what I've been holding on to this for 25 years are you kidding me Mm -hmm. yeah that it must be so rewarding for you though, to be, to, to be able to bear witness to that and then to see the shift that happens as a result. It is. I absolutely love it. Amazing. I can feel like your energy perking up already around that. (laughs) Now (laughs) with regards to the exercise compulsion and the overtraining. Um, So we've kind of talked a little bit about how we might recognize exercise compulsion. So if we are feeling anxious about something that might happen to our bodies, if we don't exercise or we just have this feeling as though we need to go out and do something. Um, But how might we be able to tell if we're engaging in, if we're in a state of overtraining or if our relationship with fitness could be considered somewhat obsessive? Like how can we identify those for ourselves? And maybe let's also take from the lens of a fitness professional, because we do have lots of coaches and trainers who listen so they could maybe identify those in their clients' behaviors. Yes, absolutely. So I think that part of it is the beliefs that a person holds around exercise because I find that people think exercise is supposed to be a form of punishment a lot of the time they're like make sure that I'm super sore after and it's like you know I'm a functional movement coach like I'm gonna make sure you move well before we do anything (laughs) um but uh you know that belief that it has to be like excruciating and the language that we we use with it like I think you know sometimes when people will will say I did the like 
you know, kettlebell graveyard workout or whatever. And it's like, we're equating <laughs> exercise with death. Like, shouldn't we be equating exercise with longevity and health? Mm -hmm. and, um, if a person is plateauing, a lot of the time it's because they're overtraining. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yeah, like, so interesting because people are like, well, I, I go to the gym six days a week and I'm not making progress. It's like, yeah, because you don't rest enough to optimize your strength. So, you know, and um, I have to go to the gym now. If it's an I have to, then, you know, you're looking at it as an obligation as opposed to an opportunity. And we will see it more as an opportunity when it's something that we have in a balanced lifestyle as opposed to the focus of our lives. So, you know, also I think those of us who are fitness professionals, health and fitness professionals may have the word fitness in our Instagram handles and stuff. Like I don't, mine's just you are weightless underscore, but some people will have like so-and-so fitness, so-and-so is fit, so-and-so this, that, and whatever. And, um, a lot of the time they're, they don't even work in fitness. Like, it's just that like that literally is the focus of their life and mm -hmm. depends on which realm of fitness it is. But like in the lifting culture, which I'm more familiar with, you know, anything from like having a special bag to carry your food in, that's like a special fitness bag to like all of these things and just so like engrossed in fitness, everything. And you know, the gym is my second home or the gym is my therapy is one that I'm really not a fan of because I'm an emotional guy and professional. So I'm like, that's not therapy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, you know, and we both value fitness. Like we're both personal trainers as part of our um, businesses. So it's like we, we value fitness, but we value other things as well. You know, I think also when you go on vacation, are you thinking about fitness the whole time? Are you making sure that you don't miss your workouts? I remember going away for a few days, a few years ago, it was for a family wedding and I wasn't overtraining at the time. Like I was far enough along in my journey that I was training strategically and I was eating for performance. Like I was making improvements in a lot of things, but I was still fitness obsessed in that, like, I could not deviate from my exercise program at all while I was at this wedding. And I did workouts at some really inconvenient times just to make sure that my workouts were done when in reality, would it have hindered my strength progress at all? If I had just missed a couple of those workouts, it wouldn't have actually mattered in the whole big scheme of things, you mm -hmm. know? So there may be some vacations that we go on where we do want to exercise a bit. And if you're a competitive athlete and you have a competition coming up, like, I mean, there's different sort of standards for people, but, you know, I think we do have to think about life as a whole, not just like fitness. For sure. And I think it's important with basically everything to, to look at the intention behind it, right? So if it's a, all right, I'm going to go for a quick workout this morning to 
get my energy levels up just because my body feels so good when I do. And then I'm going to go do everything that I want to do on my vacation today. Um, I think that's one thing. And I think it's another to be like, okay, where can I fit this workout in? I have a bunch going on today, but I need to work out because that's just what I do. Um, It's like a different energy behind it and it can look the same on the outside, but feel very different on the inside. Absolutely. That's such a good point to make because I do exercise on vacations sometimes, but if it's like rigid in stone in structure, because I feel like I have to, and it's inconvenient, then no, but the example you gave is great. Like, yeah, I'd like to just energize myself and move and then get on to the rest of the day, you know? Yeah. Now with, with all of this, so with our obsession with exercise and our tattered relationships with our bodies and food and physical activity and how all of those things come together, like what in your opinion, and there may be many, but like, what do you think are some of the most common roots of these things? Okay. So common root causes, there is a belief that the person is not good enough and their own life experiences would obviously dictate that. So, you know, I remember somebody was in a really uh, toxic relationship at one point, someone that I had worked with and there, there was definitely, you know, that contributed to, to things. Um, parents, I don't want to say like, Oh, like all parents are, you know, but you know, I've worked with a lot of people who there there's been an experience that they've been through with, with one of their parents. That's been quite, uh, traumatic or, or maybe they never even really met them or, you know what I mean? Like some, mm-hmm. some abandonment issues and stuff. Um, there's sometimes childhood bullying I have observed as well. There's these different situations that we find ourselves in and we have these experiences that lead us to believe that we're not good enough and we have to prove ourselves through something. And then we find fitness and we think that this is, this is it. This is how we're going to, you know, make ourselves appear to be awesome and whatnot. And fitness is wonderful. I love fitness. It's a big part of my life. But um, when we start to detach from that identity, we truly get to know ourselves beneath that egotistical identity that we provide ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think you hit the nail on the head with that from my own experiences and thinking of clients who I've worked with and at, at the root of so many things, it is just this inherent belief that we aren't good enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, you know, the, the part where I said parents too, I just want to touch on that quickly too. And like that our parents are human and like they all have done the best that they can with the resources that they had in, in raising us. And a lot of the times, like they were scared and they didn't know what to do. And their generation didn't seek self-help. And, you know, that this kind of stuff wasn't really popular back then. And so mm-hmm. they dealt with things differently and their parents dealt with things 
differently. And self-help is like such a, a new age sort of thing. So, you know, if there's anyone out there who's listening that did have a traumatic parent experience when they were younger, like, um, forgive them, like go through the steps to forgive them. Yeah, definitely. I feel like I'm going to need to have you come back on and we can just like go into that whole side of things, like the forgiveness and actually facilitating this internal transformation, because there's so many good things to dive into there. But if we go into it now, we'll be talking for hours. Yes. Um, Now, with all of that, I also feel as though, you know, we have more people like you who are speaking up and who are promoting a healthy relationship with physical activity. We have people who are talking about mindfulness and improving our self-worth. But do you think that our current societal landscape is moving us closer towards healing or is it moving us further away? Well, that is a really good question um and quite dynamic i think in a lot of ways yes the self-help world is growing but are they teaching life skills and self-love in schools because this is where it really starts i would love to like teach a children's class personally like yeah the image like in schools like that would be that would be life-changing because you know like I said earlier, I'm mostly working with women in their thirties and forties who are like, okay, yeah, um, I'm not going to live the rest of my life like this, but what if we were working more on prevention, you know? Um, but I think that because there are so many gifted practitioners out there now that there are so many more options for people to heal, it would be nice to see in the like body um, confidence world, less blame towards external factors. I -hmm. think that that actually is keeping a lot of people stuck when people are looking at these external factors and they're saying F diet culture, they told me to be this way and these unrealistic beauty standards and stuff. That's such a surface level answer to give as to why we have the issues that we do. I think you know, it would be cool if people actually did talk about emotions on like a deeper sort of vulnerable scale because we are multi-layered and we can look at how external factors affect us, but it's our own personal responsibility to go within and change how we react to them and what we truly believe about ourselves and, and manifest what we want in life. Mm, Yes. And I think that is such a good segue into my next question, which was going to be to ask if you wouldn't mind sharing some things that you either found helpful in your own healing journey or things that you help your clients with, like maybe different tools or some mindset shifts that can help us begin to repair our relationship with physical activity and our bodies and just how we take care of ourselves. Well, part of it, I would say that if you're struggling emotionally with these things, that first of all, acknowledging that reaching out for help is a strength. You know, people sometimes think it's a weakness, but it's a strength that shows that you know that you deserve more and that you're worthy of healing. So never be afraid to reach out and ask for for help. And, you know, as far as tips go, part of it, like there are some practical parts in it of 
course, like understanding um, fitness on a more functional level and understanding that if you have a body, you're actually supposed to have some body fat. We're not supposed to look like um, fitness models in magazines. It's shocking, right? <laughs> I know, like uh, <laughs> unsustainable body fat levels. What's that? No. Um, but those relationships that we build with ourselves, there's like a lot of reprogramming, reconditioning, um, reframing. Like I do a six step reframe with clients sometimes taking them through a series of questions, like asking if they're willing to look at things from a different perspective. And if not, then what's standing in the way and, and that type of thing. And to, um, really go through the depths of these, these things and, um, looking at the emotions that you're struggling with, like what emotions are you struggling with the most and how are you going to learn to release them in a healthy way? I always provide clients with an emotional wheel so that they understand how different emotions are linked to one another. So you can kind of backtrack and see what led you to a really intense, challenging emotion, for example. Mm. Um, an example I can use of that is like, let's say you met somebody and like their energy really vibe and you were kind of like skeptical of them and you were like, I'm kind of skeptical of this person. And you kind of became critical and then you kind of became angry when, whenever you saw them, because you knew that maybe they were dishonest or something and it, and it led you to feel angry. Like that's just an example. Um, there are some practical tips I could give to like, one of my favorite tips, and anybody listening right now can do this, is make an Instagram account that has nothing to do with fitness. Like, in my journey, that was amazing. I mm -hmm. made a private fitness or private non-fitness Instagram account where I don't use any hashtags. I post things that are not related to food and fitness, and I only follow people that I know, and I only accept that I know following me and it's really nice because I think that when you're obsessed with fitness culture you know Instagram kind of like um what's the word I'm looking for like it reinforces perpetuates it or yeah it perpetuates it it's like oh everything I'm doing is okay because this person over here is doing it and then you know we're exposed to all the gimmicks like you know one thing I didn't mention that um I see a lot in over exercising is like those sweatbands like those waist trainers oh yeah like, oh my gosh so people will be like well this famous influencer is wearing this so like this is okay for me to do and stuff but if you create yourself an Instagram account that has nothing to do with fitness or you don't follow fitness accounts and you actually have to like like what do I like what am I actually interested in mine's a lot of it is pictures of like trees and sunsets and flowers and just friends and stuff but um, that was really healing for me. Hmm. That actually sounds really fun. I might have to do that. It is great. <laughs> I have an account for my dog. I don't know if that counts, but <laughs> it's it's good to have an outlet like that's not a fitness account, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And you mentioned that you do neuro linguistic programming as well. Yes. Yes. For our listeners who might not know what that is, do you want to give us um, a quick kind of rundown on what it is and how it works? So neurolinguistic programming is NLP for short. So if you ever see NLP written down, 
that's what it would mean. And in NLP, we believe that there is a positive underlying intention for all of our behaviors. So, you know, we're really looking at the ego. And even if a behavior is negative, there is a positive underlying intention. And often it's a need for protection, as we've been discussing today, that feeling that like, I'm not good enough. So there's that fitness identity mask that a person might wear. And so these actions do have structure to them. So like we look at what would have led a person there and what are these beliefs and how can we reprogram them? How do we transition out of them? And this can be done with like questioning and listening, mapping, anchoring, visualization, you know, reframing, uh, trance, like more advanced exercises. You can uh, put clients in a bit of a trance state and release some of these really um, deep-seated emotions and beliefs and reprogram and recondition your, your thoughts, language, actions, and behaviors. Sounds amazing. It's something that has been on my list to check out for quite some time. I've heard a lot of really good things about it and how powerful it can be in facilitating transformations. And how long have you been doing that for? Uh, three years. I took the course in Toronto and mm-hmm. I loved going to a different city for it. It was the first trip that I took by myself after my eating disorder that wasn't like a family meetup of some sort. So it was great mm-hmm. to be in Toronto by myself, meeting the new friends I met there in the program. And um, it's very transformational to go through it in an intensive format like that. Yeah, I can imagine. You are coaching people and people are coaching you. And, you know, it's great because some of the exercises are active and some of them are, you know, more relaxed and you're, you're sitting down and your eyes closed, visualizing, etc. So, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. It's really beautiful work. Cool. Thank you for giving us some insight on that. Now, from everything that we've talked about today, and maybe even if it's not directly related to some of the things that we've discussed, I'm curious as to whether you have any favorite books, podcasts, blogs, resources, anything that you think might benefit our listeners on their own journeys. Well, when it comes to over-exercising and exercise compulsion in itself, There's not a lot of resources, which is why I'm so excited to be talking about this right now with you. There is- Yeah, forging the path. Yeah, there's more about like eating, which is great. But you know, what my client told me was in the uh, realm of exercise, the intuitive exercise sort of uh, discussions, say things like vacuuming your house could be your exercise for the day and stuff. And I don't think these conversations really cater to fitness enthusiasts who value fitness and want to have fitness in their life on the other side of healing um, their disordered behaviors with it. And so, you know, as far as like body image and, and food and stuff go, one of my favorite people in this space is Kayla Kotecki and her uh, business is called Damn the Diets. Kayla's a good friend of mine and she has a YouTube channel and a lot of the conversations she has, people are like, oh, wow. Yeah. I really relate to what you're saying. Um, And she was a former um, bikini competitor. So she's been on the fitness side. So I think that some of the fitness uh, crew could identify with some of her stories more, you know? Cool. 
So I guess you're going to have to write like the leading book on working through exercise compulsion since it's not out there. That's you're true. on the hook now. <laughs> I'll have to do something. <laughs> <laughs> cool. And last but not least, this has been such a great conversation. And if there are any of our listeners who want to continue the conversation with you or find out how they can work with you or anything like that, where can they find you? Let us know all the social media channels, websites, opt-ins, anything like that. Give us the goods. So my Instagram handle is youareweightless underscore. I have a Facebook page, youareweightless. The website is youareweightless.com. And I'm working on some new things for the new year. So right now, that's about it. All right. Well, um, I can say to our listeners, um, Alicia has a really great Instagram, lots of very like thought provoking, beautiful words on there. So definitely go and check her out. And I'm just excited as everyone else to see what you got cooking up for next year. Thank you. I'm excited too. This year has been more of a transitional year. Like I left a job I've, you know, been making that transition and then there will be a bit more online stuff next year. So that'll be great. Very cool. And you know, you're not the first person who has said that 2018 was a transitional year. It's, it's oh. funny. We, we all kind of live by the same energies, whether we realize it or not, I think. Oh yeah, we definitely do. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, this was so amazing. Um, I got a lot out of it. You're making me think a lot about my own journey and I know our listeners gained so much from this as well. So thank you so much for your time and coming on and sharing your insights and your expertise with us. This was amazing. Thank you so much for having me and I will look forward to chatting with you again soon. Yes, of course. And to our listeners, as always, thank you so much for your time and your energy and for allowing us to hang out in between your ears. I will be back with you next week with another episode of the Daily Sweat Podcast. Have a great day. Wait, before you go, take a screenshot of this episode and be sure to post it on your Instagram stories and tag Alicia and I letting us know what you loved about it.